Welcome to the NHL Wraparound Podcast, featuring Neil Smith, President, General Manager of the 1994 Stanley Cup champion New York Rangers, and longtime ESPN NHL veteran Vic Morin. Together, they share no-nonsense opinions on news and issues around the National Hockey League. Whether you're a casual or diehard fan, each episode of NHL Wraparound will leave you more informed. Now, here's your hosts, Neil and Vic. Hello, folks, and welcome to episode four of NHL Wraparound. On today's show, we will start off with a couple of one-timers, and then we'll move into our main topics, the first of which, the impact of backup goaltenders in the NHL this season. Then we'll be joined by our special guest, Executive Vice President and General Manager of the Winnipeg Jets, Kevin Sheveldayoff. And then we will move on, and we'll have a discussion about the Morgan Riley hit over the weekend using his stick and the possible suspension that will be forthcoming. And then we'll wrap it up with our human side of the story. So all that coming up. But first, a word from my gray. From Howdy Hughes, from Bellevue to Bedard, we're your source for game-worn jerseys. Go to mygray.com, M-E-I-G-R-A-Y.com to start your collection today. Get real. Get it from iGray. Vic, you know, one thing I've noticed in the East is that the, the couple of teams are causing trouble for teams that thought they would make the playoffs and now are out of the even the wild card situation. Teams that are causing havoc, Detroit Red Wings and Philadelphia Flyers. Both of them are a lot better this year than I think anybody expected them to be. Detroit, we thought was maybe another year away from being on a serious playoff team. And Philadelphia, after the summer they had of, uh, you know, bringing in Keith Jones as president, bringing in Danny Briere as general manager last year, uh, they fired Chuck Fletcher. It, it, it looked like they were in a total burn down and all of a sudden coach John Tortorella has got his players playing so well that they're a threat now to make the playoffs. In fact, they're in a playoff position. So that causes havoc for the New York Islanders. It causes havoc for uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. It causes havoc for those other teams that are on the bubble of making the playoffs. And uh, it's exciting for Detroit to be ahead of your game plan, exciting for Philadelphia, but it's misery for those teams who, who want to be in the playoffs, who think they should be in the playoffs, but have to claw their way through so many teams to get there now. You know, last week we talked about the projections for teams to get in. And in the East, it was Detroit setting the bar at 95.1. And that is now actually a little bit higher. It's now 96 and a half points to get in. So those clubs indeed now have to make up more ground and they have less time to do it. So uh, certainly uh, kudos to both uh, the Red Wings and the Philadelphia Flyers. So um, my one time this morning uh, has to do with Brad Marchand, who he'll be playing his 1,000th game in Tampa tomorrow night uh, or on uh, Tuesday night, rather. And I think the interesting thing is it comes on the eve of uh, Valentine's Day, and there's probably been no more polarizing player in the NHL over uh, the last 15 years than uh, Marchand has. But, you know, let's 
take the good and the bad with this player. You know, the bad is that uh, he's been suspended more than any player in NHL history, and he's lost over $1.4 million in pay in fines. So that's the bad Marshawn. The good Marshawn is he's three goals away from 400. He's 90 points away from 1,000. And the question is now coming up whether he is a Hall of Fame type player. And if you project out, he's going to be 36 in May, probably play at least another three or four more years. I think he's got 500 goals, 1,200 points in total before his resume wraps up. And, you know, look, he's never going to be an angel, but he's cleaned a lot of stuff up in his game. You know, the low bridge hits, the slew foots, the licking of players of all things. And now he's the captain of the Bruins who has succeeded Patrice Bergeron. And you look at the skill set, he can skate, he can shoot, he's got great hands, he passes well, and he's got outstanding hockey acumen. And I think when it's all said and done that he's won a Stanley Cup and he's been to two other finals, I think that gets him in the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, I, I, it's, he's an interesting player. He's one of those players that's right on right on the edge. And which way do you go with him? But he's a small guy, and he he came into the league in the in the old era. I mean, he came in with bigger guys. It wasn't all uh, guys his size, and he had to be a bit of a pit bull to to be able to survive in the league. The thing that it means the most to me about Marshawn is the fact that they made him. That really says something about his character. We knew he was an important player for the Bruins, but when the Boston Bruins, an original six team, make you the captain, uh, that's something not to be taken lightly. And I can tell you, Vic, he can guarantee himself a seat in the Hall of Fame if his Bruins win a Stanley Cup, another one. I know he's won one already, but if they win one while he's captain, he, he's he's in the Hall of Fame very easily. No question. And uh, just a reminder that uh, these one-timers were brought to you by Ninsel Wealth Partners of UBS Financial Services. Let's move forward together. And welcome back to Wraparound. So, the impact of backup goaltenders this season is very significant in and around the NHL. And entering this week, the NHL average for goals against is 2.90 and save percentage is 0.904. And the following backups are below both of these numbers. Laurent Bossois in Winnipeg, Casey DeSmith in Vancouver, Joel Hefner in St. Louis, Alec Nedeljkovic in Pittsburgh, Jonathan Quick in New York, and Anthony Stolarz in Florida. Now, these three goalies not only are below these numbers, but they have become the number ones. Joey Decord in Seattle, Connor Ingram in Arizona, and David Riddick in Los Angeles. And question in you, Neil, is when you're looking at a team, what's the most important component that you look for when you're bringing in a backup? I, I think the most important thing is the chemistry that he's going to have with your number one and that he's uh, somebody who is okay with being the number two uh, or at least the number one B uh, when he comes in. He's going to push the starter uh, to, to keep playing well, but he's also going to be his, his you know, his uh, 
also his cheerleader in a way uh, that he wants him to to do well. He's not sitting on the bench hoping goals go in so that he gets a chance to play. Uh, personality is a big part of it. Uh, you want somebody who's going to be okay with, you know, having to go in on the second game of a back-to-back uh, when you played the starter against the weaker team, you know, wanting to get those two points in the bag. And then you sort of throw the backup to the Wolves on the, on the next night uh, and, and against a good team. So uh, personality has a lot to do with it and also a chemistry with the starter. Is there a, something different in terms of the mental makeup and the toughness of a backup because they know that they're not getting in as often and they know that when they get in there, they have to perform? I, I think there is. I think that there's a mindset that you – what I am astonished at in today's Hawk Jonathan Quick syndrome, I'll call it, that he could go from being a guy who won two Stanley Cups – by himself, meaning he was the, the goaltender of the whole thing for the LA Kings for two Stanley Cups. He was part of the Stanley Cup win last year in Vegas, although a very small part. But then signs in New York because that's his childhood favorite team. He grew up in Connecticut and has been outstanding for the Rangers this year in his role and to the point where he's played better than Shesterkin, who is a Vezina Trophy uh, candidate most years. So, um, and I think that's going on around the league. You pointed it out with uh, several, there's been three actually that you noted, uh, you know, backups, number twos, number one B one that have clearly now taken over the starter position. And um, you didn't used to see that hardly ever. Uh, I can't think of one time ever seeing it in the in, in previous uh, eras. What do you think when we get to the playoffs? And, you know, historically, there have only been really three instances since expansion that you've seen anything close to a 50-50 split in terms of games played. In 69, uh, the Canadians won. Rogi Vashon played eight games. Gump Worsley played seven. And in 1972, Jerry Cheevers played eight. And Eddie Johnston played seven for the Bruins. And then in Pittsburgh in uh, 2017, Marc-Andre Fleury had 15 games played and Matt Murray had 11. But interestingly, the last two cup champions have seen more kind of like a two-thirds, one-third split. Colorado in 22, Darcy Kemper 16 games, Pavel Francois 7. And then even last year, Aiden Hill 16 and Laurent Brassois, who is with Winnipeg now, uh, played eight games. So do we see this kind of trending more that if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, maybe there's going to be a little bit more of balance between the two goaltenders? Well, it, it, it certainly is a current trend, and it makes you wonder um, if, in fact, the day of the franchise goalie uh, on the Stanley Cup team is gone. So what I mean by that is Patrick Waugh, Marty Brodeur, uh, Mike Richter, um, you can mention a number of them. They were star goaltenders, and it was a thought, in my theory back then, you had to have a all-star goaltender to win the Stanley Cup. You had to, you know, the guy with the best goalie won the Stanley, Eddie Belfour won the Stanley Cup. And 
I, I guess those days are gone. I mean, uh, Vasilevsky is certainly a, uh, a franchise goaltender. There's no doubt about it. And he won two cups in a row. But is that still the most thing like it used to be? It's, it seems like it's not because Vegas clearly won uh, the cup last year, riding the back of somebody that I'd never heard of, uh, you know, until last season. So, um we're going to see this year uh, who have ever eventually wins what their goaltending turns out to be. Um, will they ride the one horse all the way there or will they, as you're talking about, split it? To me, it's going to be a fascinating sidebar story as we wait the playoffs and see them evolve through to the end of June. You've heard me sharing how much I love my Dior jeans. And I have to tell you, the people that know me are well aware I'm not showing up on any of P.K. Subban's fashion segments anytime in the near future. <laughs> but I will say that I was out for dinner the other night wearing my Dior jeans and I was styling. And how much food did you drop in your lap? Uh, actually, actually, none. I don't have to wash them for the next time that I go out. Well, but you I'm know, they, are, you they, will, they will be uh, you won't have any bacteria in there anyway. So don't worry about it. That's right. But I'm going to still look great also. And let me tell you something. Doormate stretch performance denim and lifestyle apparel for men and women. Plus, Door is committed to using 85 percent plant based materials for natural softness and comfort. Trust me, you need Door in your wardrobe. Order your new favorite jeans today. Check out Door's flagship stores in L.A. or Denver or shop online at shopdoor.com slash NHL fan right now our listeners can get 15 percent off site-wide when you use our special url shop d-u-e-r.com slash nhl fan don't wait to get 15 percent off go to shopdoor.com slash nhl fan so now it's my pleasure to bring into nhl wrap around the executive vice president and general manager of the winnipeg jets the only general manager of these the new version of the Winnipeg Jets have ever had, and that's Kevin Sheveldayoff. And Kevin, thank you so much for being with Vic and I on on this show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, Kevin, I see Butch Goring all the time at the Islander games, and I said to him the other day, I said, we're going to have your buddy Chevy on the show coming up. And, and uh, I said, I didn't realize how much time you two guys put in together, uh, you know, with it, both him coaching you and also uh, you being his assistant coach. Well, I, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for Butch, quite honestly. Um, and it's a really kind of ironic story um, because Butch was, um, you know, my coach in uh, Capital District Islanders in the American Hockey League for uh, for three seasons. Um, and uh, at that point in time, you know, you had four year entry level contracts. And um, so I went to play my 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 final year in that contract with uh, in Salt Lake City, where the Islanders moved their affiliate. But it was the following year. Um, that um, Butch ended up taking over in uh, Denver as a new team, Denver Grizzlies. And um, actually, he had hired Bob Bourne as his assistant coach. And then Bob had to step away for family reasons. So I had 
I, I was wanting to play still, and I didn't have a contract. And I got this phone call in early August uh, from Butch, and I, you know, I had just gotten married, and I told my wife. Butch called, and you know, thinking he's going to ask me to for you know come play for him in Denver, and, and uh, so I got on the phone with him, and and um, he said, you know, we talked it through, and he said, Chevy, he said, I got a, a unique opportunity for you here. I'd like to offer you to you know the assistant coach, assistant general manager position. I said, Butch, I still want to play. And he says, well, you know what? Think about it. You know, so I, I went back and, and I called my agent at the time and I said, um, and, you know, you know we got to think it through. It's, it's early August. I don't have a job. I've been hounding him all summer to try to find me a job. And I get on the phone with him and I said, just got a call from Butch Goring. He offered me, he goes, take it. I go, but I didn't tell you what he offered me. He goes, he said, doesn't matter, Chevy. He says, you know what, whatever the offer is, it's, it's better than what I've got, so take it. So I got into coaching and managing through Butch. We won a couple of championships, and, you know, then that led into the, you know, being offered the GM job to Chicago Wolves. And But, you know, if I don't get that phone call from Butch in August and, and him, you know, the relationship that we had as a coach player at the time, um, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here today. That's that's everybody needs a break. I know uh, Vic and I talk about that all the time in the in the his uh, broadcast industry and and uh, Stan Fischler gave him his break at the very beginning. Jimmy D gave me a break in uh, in with the New York Islanders or, and Al Arbor really working for him. But let's get to, to the Jets, because obviously that's what we want to talk about. You, you guys just came out of thankfully out of a slump, a little bit of a slump. I've I've managed through slumps before but this was a little bit out out of the ordinary because it was five games which in a normal uh you know part of the season would be maybe two weeks you'd suffer through it and you had to suffer for 21 days uh it was five losing losing five games in a row but it took 21 days because of the all-star break. And I guess my question to you is that being a former GM, you being a current one, how do you handle uh, a slump from the GM chair? Do you stay in your office? Do you go down and try to keep uh, Rick bonus motivated? Do you, I mean, what do you do during that? Well, so, you know, you, you are correct. It was a unique situation. So we, um, you know, we had just come off the heels of a, a, and I can't even remember now that then that's the thing you, you, you go on a streak the other way, the winning side of it, you can't remember, but I, we, 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 I think came close to setting a national league record for, um, you know, consecutive games, uh, not giving up more than three goals. And, um, you know, we ended up, I think we lost that streak to the Bruins. Um, and, um, yeah, so that was a, you know, a tough game. Uh, and then the next game we went into, um, Toronto and we played to a zero, zero draw uh, essentially, and then lost in overtime, one, nothing. And then we had a back to back, a home and home with Toronto and came home here and, and unfortunately lost. And that was within a span of like four days. Um, so you, you go from riding the high of highs, you know, with the streak that on the, on the winning side of it, which like you said, I can't even remember now. Um, and, uh, to going to obviously, you know, losing uh, or winless in three, I guess, uh, when you lose in overtime and then going into a break. So, you know, the break, uh, obviously I think lasted 10 days and, and, uh, through that period of time, uh, things 
things heated up on the trade front side and, and uh, you know, we ended up trading for Sean Monaghan. Um, so that really kind of broke things up, uh, you know, from, from that standpoint. I was, it was a pretty busy break uh, when it came from that perspective. And, and um, so we, we had to, you know, dig in, uh, you know, quite hard in, in trying to uh, get the trade done and uh, came out on the break on the other side. And obviously when you, you know, you don't win your first game and then don't win your second game, you know, things start to weigh on you. But, um, you know, we, we played well here at home here the other night against Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, they're fighting for their lives to try to stay, stay in the hunt. And, um, you know, it was a, a hard fought game and, and, uh, now you got to put that behind you and just, um, you know, focus on the task at hand. And, and, you know, the, the next game is always the most important one here. And, um, you know, for us, uh, we've got a couple of days of practice and, and, uh, and I know that, uh, you know, bones, uh, at this time of the year, you know, you relish those opportunities to, to have a practice because, uh, you know, the time gets, you know, so crunched. And as we even move forward here in March, I think we have 16 games in March. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a, a sprint to the finish. Kevin, you mentioned the Sean Monahan deal acquiring him from Montreal, and that came on the heels of Vancouver acquiring Elias Lindholm from uh, from the Calgary Flames. So in a situation like this, are you reacting to that move a little bit quicker because a contender has already made a trade, and if you don't move quickly, that player may move off the board? Well, I think, you know, as a group, we've we've had meetings um, on the pro side of it and, and amateur side of it. You're getting ready for, you know, the different avenues of your organization. But you identify, I think, you know, your internal needs and, and you also identify the potential options out there. And, and um, you know, we identified those two players as, as the top two options uh, for our particular, you know, need at the time. And, and um, one thing you can't control is when the other team is going to, you know, sell or, or, or pull the trigger on the trade. So, you, you know, you just have to be nimble and ready. And, and, um, you know, fortunately for us, uh, you know, the, the two teams, I guess, decided to, um, make their moves and, and we were able to, uh, match the asking price and, uh, you know, that, that they were willing to sell for. So, um, it's, you know, it, it's all timing. You just, you just don't know, you know, like March 8th deadline, um, allows for certain things, you know, it allows for roster expansion and, and, uh, you know, so that's why you see a lot of different things. We were fortunate that, um, uh, well, I guess fortunate and unfortunate, we created a roster spot because we were thinking that, you know, something might be happening. And unfortunately, we lost that player on waivers. Um, but, um, you know, we, we needed to have that spot in, in order to, you know, make that trade. So lots of things behind the scenes, uh, lots of decisions that go into it. Um, and uh, again, fortunately, we were able to come up with the player that we wanted. I just want to follow that up because there are four names that uh, appear to be at the top of the trade bait list, so to speak. Jake Gensel, uh, Chris Tanev, uh, uh, Noah Hannafin, and, and Adam Henrique on, uh, on Anaheim. And as the deadline gets closer, we know that, you know, with the draft, you know, you're looking at teams and how they're picking and your strategy changes or stays the same based on those picks. Do you have different scenarios based on which player may go first? Are there are there a series of scenarios that you're working with based on the player that moves first? Well, you know, for us, I, 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 you know, the 
that scenario presented itself with you know the trades that we identified what for us i guess you know in our own situation here you know we're going to take the you know the time to between now and, and the deadline to you know assess our team assess our needs um and and you know it might not be the big fish it might be you know nibbling around the edges it, it might be nothing at all um you know we have some internal players uh, we have a young player that uh you know essentially made our team out of training camp and then broke his ankle uh, in Vili Hainola that uh, you know a young defenseman within our organization that um he's back playing now he needs to you know get games under his belt at the American League level but that might be our own internal addition so there's there's lots of things that you know, might come into play, might not. Um, you know, uh, and again, the, the, the positionally is is the most important thing. But um, for us, it always has to come down to fit. You know, we've we've got a good group of guys here. We've got you know real good chemistry. Um, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs, like Neil said, through the season. But, um, you know, we, we, we think this group, you know, has earned, you know, it's, it's right, uh, you know, to, to try to do this together as well. And you can go back over the course of time. Sometimes it's the additions that push you over the top. But, you know, you look at some teams that, that, that only nibble around the edges at the trade deadline and, and they continue on. So um, we'll just, you know, we'll evaluate, we'll be ready. And, and if we choose to go in a direction, then we'll be decisive. You know, listening to that, it, Vic, uh, listening to Kevin, you, things have changed, but they've stayed the same. Uh, you know, my decision making wasn't far off of that. I think there was less complications back in the 90s, but uh, the decision making process, uh, I can, it just, just sounds right like it used to be for me, even back making four trades on deadline day way back when. Um but I, I want Kevin. Your team is, uh, and I, <clears throat> I should preface it by saying, in the modern day NHL, uh, every year I get surprised by teams that are quickly really good or quickly really bad. And I'll give you an example, like Vancouver this year. Like I didn't see that coming that they would be this good. Last year, I didn't see that Jersey was going to be as good as they were last year. Uh, they, they both caught me by surprise. In, in the Winnipeg Jets situation, judging it from my chair, which is a million miles away, um, you know, I saw what happened last year in the playoffs with Vegas, and then uh, Bones was pretty upset with uh, his team and your team, and, and uh, he made that pretty well known. And so during, you know, in the early off season, there might've been thoughts, well, you know, Chevy will probably make a change either at the coaching level, or they'll start to do something to, you know, move this group on to rebuild, but you didn't do that. You, you, you kept uh, obviously the right move and you re-signed Hellebuck and, and Shifley to long-term contracts and you, Dis, you know, discharged a couple of players and you haven't looked back. You've been, a, now you're a contender, a legitimate contender in the league. And I, I just bring that up to, to, to get your reaction to that because from the outside, I mean, you've done everything right. And I know sometimes as a manager, you can try your best and nothing goes right. And other times you can fall into it. Um, but you're, you're keeping the coach and re-signing your two franchise players. Uh, could you speak to that? Sure. Well, so I, I go back to the playoffs and, and, um, you know, obviously, you know, you, uh, 
Um, it's an emotional time when you're in the playoffs and you're, you're playing for the Stanley Cup. You know, obviously, 16 teams have been eliminated already, and and uh, you know you you get the honor of of um, you know of, of moving on. So, um, you know, when we got into that series, um, you know, it, it had its ups and downs as well. But um, you know, unfortunately, in the end, like we 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 ended up losing um, you know uh, Josh Morrissey, um, you know, early in I think it was uh, you know Game Three. Um, and, you know, he, he was done. Like, he wasn't going to come back uh, until probably the third round. Uh, then we lost Mark Shifley to an injury as well. And, and so we didn't have him for, you know, for most of game four and all of game five. So I think people forget that, you know, like, you know, obviously they remember the emotions that Bones had at the end of it. But um, you, you have to understand one thing. Bone, Bones is, uh, there, there's been, you know, no other coach that's been behind the bench in some capacity more than than Rick Bonus in the National Hockey League history. Um, he, he's doing this for one reason and one reason only, and that's to win a Stanley Cup. Um, you know, so when you have that ability or the, that opportunity taken away from you because you lose, it's emotional. Uh, and, you know, one thing that Bones is, is authentic. And, and he, you know, there's, there's, you know, he, he, he's not, he's a pull no punch type of guy. And, and, um, you know, but, but, you know, he's, he's like all those players, grandfathers, so to speak too, you know, those guys want to play hard for him and, 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 and go through a wall for him. Um, so it was an emotional time and we had emotional exit meetings as well. You know, at the end, I talked to a lot of the guys because a lot of the players in our organization, we drafted, we developed some guys we traded for, but most of them, you you know, we signed over a period of time and have re-signed, you know, long term or whatever. But, um, you know, there was an emotional, you know, uh, situation because they, they want to win. Um, so obviously we had some decisions to make in the summertime and and, uh, and we did. Um, you know, we, we, we moved, you know, we, we parted ways uh, with Blake Wheeler mutually, uh, you know, essentially we bought him out and um, that that allowed for us to, you know, complete the transition of our of our leadership group into uh, uh, a player that we now have as captain Adam Lowry that was our second pick that we drafted the in that first year that we came back um, and um, you know so that that became a you know kind of a, a starting point when it came to that we obviously made a trade at the uh, at the um, draft uh, and acquired uh, you know Gabe Velarde and Alex Iafalo and Rasmus Kupari in a second round pick um, and I think at that point in time some of the players that were pending, uh, you know, UFAs that that kind of wanted to take their time and make some decisions. I think when we made that trade, that really kind of signaled to them that, like, we're not throwing in the towel here. We're trying to kind of keep pushing this forward. And if you want to be a part of it, then, you know, let's be a part of it. And so I sat down with with both Mark Shifley and, and uh, Connor Hellebuck at um, – uh, when they got back from summer at training camp and, and we talked about, you know, we, you know, what we want to do as an organization. And, you know, again, these players, you know, were drafted here. These players grew up here and, and two things became apparent in both those conversations that I had with Mark and, and, uh, and Connor was that um, they have an insatiable desire to want to win a championship. Uh, that was one. Uh, but the second thing that came up is that they really care about these guys and they want to win that championship here. And um, so that's, you know, we, we, we hammered out the long-term deals and was uh, a special announcement uh, where we got both of those players done uh, on the same day. And I think, you know, that, that there was no looking back from, from training camp on at that point. Well, you certainly have been uh, pushing all the right buttons. I'll tell you, since the last year's playoffs, and and Vic and I uh, really want to thank you for doing this, taking the time to do this. I know how busy it is for a GM. You're getting calls, 
constantly and uh, all the all the different little stuff you got to go through with people wanting tickets and everything else people don't realize it goes from soup to nuts when you're the gm uh but kevin thanks for taking the time to to come on with us well i really want to i thank you guys for having me on neil you've been such a good friend over the years and uh you know a mentor in a lot of different ways so it was uh, great to hear that uh, you know you guys uh, had a podcast going here and it's a pleasure to um you know to to be a part of it well, thanks Thank so you, much Kevin. for doing it. We really appreciate it. Your first GM, by the way, you're the first GM on the show. <laughs> thanks. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's time for a quick shout out to our sponsor. NHL Wraparound is brought to you by MyGray, your source for game-worn jerseys. Head to MyGray.com. That's M-E-I-G-R-A-Y.com to get your collection started today. Get real Get it from my gray. NHL wraparound guests can take 10% off any hockey jersey when they order at mygray.com. That's M-E-I-G-R-A-Y dot com and use the coupon code RAP10. That's W-R-A-P-1-0. Yeah, we were at UBS Arena last week and we met with Barry Mizell, who uh, is the big honcho at Migray, and he was given a Matt Snell jersey from Super Bowl three that the New York Jets won their only championship in. And to prove its authentication, he took a little look on the sleeve here where there was a green patch that was covering up a tear, and he used a piece of videotape to actually match things up for the preliminary authentication. So the stretch that they go to to authenticate their products is pretty remarkable, and it was really something to see in person. Well, he's a perfectionist. Barry's a perfectionist in authentication. You're not going to get anybody better than them. This past Saturday night, a little bit of an ugly incident at the end of the Ottawa-Toronto game. Uh, just to set the stage, Ridley Gregg of the Ottawa Senators had a clear path to an empty net and decided to take a slap shot from the top of the crease in which Toronto defenseman Morgan Riley reacted and went after Gregg with his stick. Uh, if I'm a fan... I'm irate. I understand the team reacting and that basically this was a middle finger to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if I'm a fan, I'm outraged also. But nonetheless, it's uh, an incident that Riley is likely going to get a suspension, Neil, uh, and that'll be decided sometime on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, well, let's set the stage too, Vic, for the for folks that aren't from Ontario or don't know this rivalry first of all it is a heated rivalry the two teams both play in the province of ontario ottawa has for the last number of years been well behind toronto in the standings and when you go to an ottawa senators game when the leafs are playing half the building is toronto maple leaf jersey so you've got a lot of toronto fans in that building for cheering for the road team and toronto has been under fire lately for not reacting to things uh, in the right way or overreacting to things or captain john Tavares got into a scrum a few games ago and nobody came to his aid uh brad marchant was uh, mouthing off at their bench and nobody did anything about it back away 
ago. So I'm sure that in the back of uh, all the players' minds was, well, we can't keep letting people, um, you know, make a, or we can't keep putting on the impression that we're not willing to fight for our team. And that clearly, though, an overreaction to something that was clearly in, we know in hockey, that's a way to say, screw you, uh, the way that he put that puck into the net. I think what's going to be interesting here is the way supplemental discipline is going to be handed out. And the episode that comes closest to mind happened back on December 9th when David Perron went after Artem Zub, also uh, of the Ottawa Senators. And he went after Zub, who was in the vicinity of Dylan Larkin, who had been hit by two other players. So he went after a player that wasn't even involved in the situation, and Perron wound up getting six games. Then you had Blake Lazat of L.A. Uh, last season going after Josh Morrissey. He got one game. And then back in 1987, Dave Brown hit Thomas Sandstrom of the Rangers and got 15 games. Brown was a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. And then even early this season, Jacob Trubo whacked uh, Trent Frederick of the Bruins on the side of the helmet and only got a uh, $5,000 fine. So I guess the discipline that is meted out is just all over the place. Any way that you know, we could break that down, that there could be some clarity as to the rhyme or reason to why some players are given heavier suspensions and others aren't. I, I, it's very subjective, as you say. I mean, every uh, time that a player is suspended or fined, um, they either have an on-the-phone hearing, that's if it's going to be you know under five games, or they have an in-person hearing that's offered to the player. And, uh, you know, that, that when that happens, you know it's probably going to be six games. So I, I think in, it, it's, it is individually very subjective. Um, it's not cookie cutter. Um, I'm not saying that it should or shouldn't be cookie cutter. Uh, you could, you can, you know, try to relay this stuff to other things that go on in society. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you get for a car crash or a accident where you hit the other guy, you know, you're at fault. If you, if you behind, you're at fault and you get, you're in trouble. Uh, it doesn't work that way in hockey, in the national hockey league uh, and the way that they do the discipline. Jacob Truba, his, his, uh, uh, his infraction was outrageous on video, but uh, both Frederick and that they, he, they didn't think that they did it on purpose. Like it, Truba said, I didn't do it on purpose. And Frederick said he didn't think Truba did it on purpose. So then they sort of let him off the hook. Um, there's one other incident uh, too, Vic, that we didn't mention that comes to mind on this Riley uh, uh, infraction. And that is when Pierre Turgeon uh, got hurt by Dale Hunter after he scored a goal on Washington. So uh, Turgeon of the Islanders scored against Washington and Hunter blatantly took him down uh, with a cross check or a hit. I can't remember it, what it was, but similar to that. It because, was more of a blindside hit. Right. And in, this, uh, this in is the, uh, the final game in the, their uh, 1993 playoff series. Cor correct. Correct. And, 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 but this is similar in that, you know, you go up and take umbrage on a goal scorer um, and the league can't be allowing goal, 
people can't score a goal without getting taken out. I mean, that's just can't happen. I mean, if you celebrate in a, in a, in a bad way, do you get to take the guy down? Cause you don't like his celebration. I mean, the, the guy that scored the goal, I didn't like it. And he had to know people are coming. You do that slap shot into an empty net. People are coming, but I thought people would be coming to fight. Not people are coming to give you a cross check in the head. And this is going to be an in-person hearing, so the likelihood of at least six games is very possible. And probably the Maple Leafs' attitude that thinking that this was still an appropriate action, I don't think is going to help their case at all. No, I don't think what Sheldon Keefe said after the game is going to help their case at all. But, you know, and, and again, the coach probably has to stick up for his players, but to say that it was appropriate, uh you know, and, and and the other thing is, you talk to non-hockey people about this incident, they don't have a clue of why this is even thought of as possibly appropriate. And what? why is it such a big deal that he took a slap shot into the net? Like, come on, what are you guys, like babies? Like, and, and I'm trying to explain both sides of this thing. And it's hard for people who don't know the game. And they get this impression of hockey when these things happen, that it's just... Uh, Neanderthal, uh, you know, you can't guy can't score a goal without getting cross checked in the head. Like what kind of assist? So the league is it, it's a complicated issue for the league. Sure. But just the optics of it are one of the things that for the longest time when you try to sell a non-hockey fan on hockey and this is what they see, it's it's a hard thing to sell to them. It sure is. We wrap up our show with the human side of the story brought to you by UBS Financial Services. 37 years ago this week, I worked my first event for ESPN. It was an event called Rendezvous 87 held in Quebec City, and it was a two-game series between NHL All-Stars and the Soviet Red Army to benefit the NHL Players' Pension Fund. And uh, the thing I remember about that, Neil, was uh, we took a bus from Bristol, Connecticut, the ESPN headquarters, and uh, it was about an eight-hour ride, and I remember that the temperature was relatively warm in Bristol, but by the time we got to the Canadian border, it kind of gave us a, uh, a sense of how cold it was up there, and I know for people in Edmonton and Winnipeg, uh, you know, they're probably going to scoff at me, but uh, I'd never been that cold with uh, temperatures in the sub-teens and wind holding at about 30 or 40 miles an hour all week whipping off the St. Lawrence. But uh, what I most remember besides the great atmosphere and the great hockey that was played, the two teams split uh, the games, was uh, the folks that were on that show, uh, producers Bruce Connell and Barry Sachs, both dear friends, and commentators Tom Mees and John Saunders. And unfortunately, none of those four are with us now. But boy, uh, when I look back at the career that I have had in broadcasting, meeting folks like that was absolutely a treasure. And those are four great guys that uh, I remember on the anniversary of uh, that rendezvous event. And Neil, I know that you were particularly close with John. Yeah, when John and I uh, played hockey at Western Michigan together and uh, became best of friends uh, 
forever. And uh, his passing was a uh, horrible uh, thing for me personally and for his family, obviously, and uh, was way too early. Uh, and uh, that's why you got to live life every day and get the most out of it because you don't know how long we've got. And uh, that's a great story, Vic. That's a, that's a, that's a wonderful story. I remember rendezvous 87. I went to Quebec for a little bit of it scouting, but speaking of that, of the eighties, um, I was uh, running the New York Islanders uh, summer hockey school. That's how little I was getting paid by the Islanders, by the way, that I had to work a hockey school to make sure that I could pay my rent. Um, and I ran the hockey school with Rich Torrey. Rich Torrey was the son of Bill Torrey, the uh, Hall of Fame general manager of the New York Islanders. And we ran this hockey school out of Kenyok Park on Long Island, uh, which is where the Islanders uh, practiced. Um very humble uh, arena, very humble dressing room for the Islanders back in that. And, uh, you know, we had kids that were uh, counselors that helped us that, you know, did it for the ice time and for the ability to be able to play hockey in the summer and and things like that. Now, this was 1982. You can do the math. Today is 2024. So it was 42 years ago. And... Um, I realized in the last year that the counselors that we had there were Perry Florio, great kid, and Jimmy Hughes, great kid. And I suddenly awoke to the understanding that little Jimmy Hughes that worked at my hockey school as our counselor was now the father of Jack Hughes, Luke Hughes, and Quinn Hughes, all stars in the NHL. And I guess it was me and whatever I said to him in those days at the Islander Hockey School that put that in him, that he could have three offsprings that made it to the NHL as superstars. I must have told him something magical. I must have taught him something that he passed on to those kids to make them the players they are today. So I'm sure I should get all the credit for it. I don't want to take all that credit. <laughs> Obviously, though, it's really fun that uh, uh, I knew Jimmy way back then, and now his sons are dominant players in the NHL, having great careers. And so uh, hopefully uh, I get to see Jimmy, and and who knows, Vic, maybe we can get him on NHL Wraparound. Perhaps we can, and how great that the impact that you had back then and knowing that the three Hughes brothers are going to have such an impact on the NHL for years and years to come. So that will do it for another edition of NHL Wraparound. Thanks to MyGray, UBS, Doer, and Ninsa Wealth Partners. Thanks to our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Join us next Tuesday for more NHL discussion on NHL Wraparound. See you then. Thanks for joining us on the NHL Wraparound Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on all the NHL action. 